0: This is Morse Code, Podhacker's confidant. Slim Rivers is away on mission, so I'm taking over. I'm coming to you from behind a fake plant in the bunker, recording Josh and myself after our last bug malfunctioned. He's got this guy here, some Ryan Levesque fellow with Ask Method. They've been talking about marketing all day and- Oh! They're coming in. Get ready for this guy.
1: All right, Ryan, thank you so much for coming to the bunker. And I, and I know you've got a crazy busy schedule. And I just want to let you know that where we're at right now, there's absolutely, positively, no way anybody's going to be able to listen in on our private conversation. So it's just you and me. We got super tight security. There's no way uh, that, that this information is getting out. Because I know uh, th- th- that your book, Choose, is about ready to launch, right? As of when we're, when we're having this conversation.
0: It's just about ready to launch in a few short days from now. So, yeah, it's about to hit bookshelves and,
1: and get there out there in the world um, uh, not that long from now. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So obviously we don't want to, you know, be like giving away the end uh, to uh, Avengers, the end game before the movie comes out. I mean, you can't, you're not supposed to do that, but. So. Can't do yet a spoiler warning, right? No spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm um, going back Ryan to uh, where you started. How did you get into this path where you've become, um, you've become this, 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 uh, you know, figure for being able to explore, explain the path of engagement for consumers and business owners
0: yeah you know um, it's not something that I ever sought out to do right when I first started my first business like many people after college I you know I followed my parents advice you go to college you get a good job I got a good job and then in my mid-20s I kind of had this I call it a quarter life crisis where I said I don't want to do this for the rest of my life but I didn't quite know what I wanted to do um, and, uh, I just started kind of decided to pursue building a business online. And, um, the first business I started was when in a tiny obscure niche market, uh, teaching people how to make jewelry using Scrabble tiles and origami paper. So like the most obscure thing that you can think of, um, that business succeeded for a few months. And then I quickly learned that I'd gone into a fad, um, and the business went to nothing. Um, at the wow. time I was, um, i had quit my job, my wife was in grad school, and we burned through our savings and kind of had that moment where we looked at each other and said, oh, crap, like, what do we do now? Um, And uh, we're living in China at the time, and we we moved back from China to the United States. My wife got a job as a museum curator, which is what she went to school for. And uh, she uh, uh, was getting paid $36,000 a year. And we lived on that salary and launched our next business, which was in the orchid space of all all places. Um, And we proceeded to enter over the last decade, 23 different niche markets. And uh, in that process, you know, have learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, um, have certainly learned a lot about what it means to go into a good market versus a bad market and how that can make or break your business um, out of the gate. Um, And along the way, learned a lot about human psychology, consumer psychology. What is it that makes people buy? What is it that causes people to take action? And uh, in my most recent book, Choose, um, I share a lot of the wisdom and lessons and mistakes uh, that I've made along the way in the last uh, decade plus of uh, having done that.
1: So when you had your first business failure, and and I think that that's so common that, and I've heard a statistic and you probably know this, uh, the average millionaire makes their millions on their seventh business venture. That was actually uh, literally... What happened to me is that my first six businesses, I mean, I went through bankruptcy, foreclosure, like the whole nine yards, and it was number seven. You know, I just kept at it, and I kept getting stronger and stronger and learning, okay, well, that doesn't work, that didn't work, and, you know, kind of gained the skills, and it was number seven that, you know, we made our millions on. Um, is that, how does that factor into um, what, what you cover in Choose? Yeah, you know, I think- um, my
0: hope in Choose is that uh, to help shortcut that process for a lot of people, right? So you don't have to go through the process of building 23 different businesses. Um, you know, truthfully, what, what happened in Choose is I wrote my first book, Ask, and Ask was all about the method I used to enter these 23 different markets and um, the, the questions that I asked and the funnels that we built and our entire approach to launching businesses in all these different markets. Um, And when you write a book like Ask, and you reach hundreds of thousands of people, you get a lot of letters from people who say the book was amazing and it transformed their life, but you also get letters from people who say, dude, I read your book, I follow what you teach, and it didn't work. And when you get letters like that, it's kind of like a a punch in the gut, right? You you kind of ask yourself like, what did I do wrong? Did I miss something? And so it kind of led me down this three year research path. Uh, to figure out why was it that some people were succeeding and other people were not? What was it that separated the successes? Guys like Jamal, and I uh, talk about Jamal's story in the book Choose. He went from $17 an hour before he read my first book to $600,000 in his first business. Or guys like Charlie, he was like scraping by a couple thousand dollars a month in his online business, grows it to $2.2 2 million a year. What was it that separated guys like that and men and women like that from those who read the book and failed? And what I found is that all roads pointed to the same uh, destination, which is uh, they were choosing bad markets. And there's this destination, yeah. maybe you can think back to your businesses, the, the six, um, I, don't, I don't want to call them failures, the six lessons you learned before, you know, sure. uh, success number seven um, is that, um, you know, starting a business is kind of like tossing your boat in a river. Right, you toss your boat in a river, you expect the river is going to take you to your destination. You start a business, you expect it's going to take you to a destination in life. Like it's going to generate wealth, it's going to generate income, it's going to allow you to have meaning and make an impact, and maybe leave a legacy for your, you know, your kids and your family and the world. And um, I see, you know, it's sort of like you see so many people spending all their time focusing on the best possible boat, um, hiring the best possible crew, uh, maybe busting their butt rowing 18 hours a day. But if you put your boat in that river, and you're facing the wrong direction. Or worse yet, you toss your boat in a river that doesn't have any water in it, it doesn't matter how hard you row, you're never gonna get to that destination. And that's what I kept finding is that people were choosing bad rivers. They were throwing their boats in rivers that were never gonna take them to where they wanted to go. And so in in this most recent book, Choose, I, I wanted to uncover what is it that separates a good market from a bad market, and how do you evaluate the niche or market or business idea that you're thinking about to determine is it a green light like pursue it or is it a red light in which case you wanna turn around and uh, find another river to toss your boat into?
1: So can you kind of take me through this process a little bit? So for example, one thing that we've done a ton of uh, is that we get thoughtful entrepreneurs and we've gotten them in the media and that's kind of been our bread and butter but we're getting more and more requests from our clients that they wanna connect with influencers and we've done some of that work in the past Uh, And it seems like something that, I mean, the indicators seem good, but I don't know what the test is to verify that other than what people are asking for it. Um, And I also, one other thing I'll I'll just put out there um, is that trend wise, like we're we're seeing that uh, like a 2017 influencer marketing was like a $2 billion industry and it's expected to be a $10 billion industry Uh, in 2020. So those are the facts that we have. And then I also have some experience going into this, both as an influencer myself, like I've worked with brands. So I kind of see it from that perspective. And then I think there, I just want to give you all the facts and then you can coach me. (laughs) And, (laughs) And I think lastly is, I think that there is a niche for micro macro influencers who are willing to do work together and not charge like celebrity rates. Like they're willing to do it on very, very low cost engagement or performance or product or something like that. And th- I think that that's what we kind of aim for. Okay. So those are all the facts. Now, Ryan, help me out. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's go.
0: Let's go. This is good. We'll we'll use this as our case study and we'll kind of go. Thank you. Uh, pieces of the process here together as much as we can in in the time that we have to kind of evaluate is this something that's a green light where you should just go you know go all in is it a yellow light proceed with caution or is it a red light in which case we may want to rethink the idea and, and find a pivot perhaps somewhere in there so first thing that I might start with is um, what I call the five market must haves so. Um, I don't know if you've uh, been a student of Jim Collins' work, Good to Great, Great by Choice, Built to Last, any of his books. I'm a huge Jim Collins uh, uh, student. And uh, one of the things I love about his work is that he studies the most iconic companies uh, in the world and looks at what is it that separates the ones that stood the test of time versus the ones that maybe succeeded for a season and then failed. Well, I wanted to do the same thing, um, looking at every single one of our niches, um, our students, our clients, our customers as well, to see what were the factors. Now, one of the things that we discovered is what we call five market must-haves. Five things that every single one of the most successful markets checked off all these boxes. Every single one of the failures or markets that didn't ever really take off was missing one of these key ingredients. So, I'll go through them one by one. And as I go through them, I'd encourage you to kind of just do a kind of mental check. Um, and think about the market you're considering, does it check off these boxes? And in which case, if the answer is yes, then we can move on to the next test in the process. So, um, first one is this, um, uh, for market must have number one is what we call an evergreen market. Evergreen means the market was relevant 10 years ago, it'll be relevant 10 years from now. It's not something that's going away anytime soon. Now, this is in contrast to the first business that I, I started, the Scrabble tile jewelry business. I learned sure. the hard way that was a fad, it was like, you know, Beanie Babies or Fidget Spinners, it was, it was hot for a minute, and then just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, a more recent example of a market like that, that I think a lot of um, your listeners may, may remember because it wasn't that long ago, is the Bitcoin market, right? So, yeah. um, the Bitcoin market is one that, gosh, there was a time where you could not turn a corner without someone talking about Bitcoin. And fast forward today from its uh, peak price, which I think was in December, 2017, um, Bitcoin has never recovered. And 95% of the people who are going all in on Bitcoin are doing something else, right? They're not in that wow. So you wanna avoid those types of markets. So that's the first thing. Second thing is it's not enough to be in an evergreen market. You also wanna be in what's called an enthusiast market. Enthusiast is in contrast to a problem solution market. Problem solution market is a market where someone, they've got a problem in their life, they solve it, and they move on and never deal with or think about that thing ever again. The example I like to use is something, um, it's a little embarrassing, but um, it's one that it proves the point, uh, wart removal. If you have a wart on your hand or your foot, um, it's a problem that you need to solve And after you solve it, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to deal with it. You're not signing up for any Facebook groups or podcasts or email newsletters for fellow, you know, uh, folks with warts. It's just, no, it's just, you don't want to deal with it, right? Um, So in that market, in markets like that, you constantly have to chase after a new customer to grow your business. Um, Instead, Mm -hmm. you want an enthusiast market where you can sell to the same customer in the same market over and over and over again. So classic examples, I I, I talk about the the orchid market, one of my first businesses. Um, Orchid enthusiasts uh, are enthusiasts in that market for years. Um, The dog market, perfect example. You sign up to bring a dog into your home, for the next 10 to 15 years of your life, you are a consumer in that market. You basically signed up to be a buyer in that market for the next decade. Um, So those are the type of markets you're looking for. Now there's some markets that appear on the surface to be problem solution, but in reality are enthusiasts. Weight loss is a great example. People think losing weight, you're solving a problem, but the reality is if you know someone in your life who's struggled with their weights, most people stay consumers in that market for years and years and years and years. Yeah. Trying different diets, trying different exercise routines, different combinations, right? So that's the second one, enthusiast. Third, you need to focus on solving an urgent problem in the context mm. of that evergreen enthusiast market. And that's one that I would be thinking about in particular for, for your, uh, your niche yeah. and your idea. And what I mean by that is you want to find a bleeding neck problem that people wake up and say, honey, we got to solve this today. It can't wait. It's got to be something that creates a level of urgency that people will go online and they won't reach this level of price sensitivity where they let the problem linger in the background for weeks and months. It's got to be something that they go online and say, we got to solve this today. So an example of that in the dog market, for example, would be if you have a dog, a puppy, and you have a puppy that needs to be potty trained. So you bring a new puppy into your home. And if the puppy is, you know, peeing on the rug and peeing on the couch and peeing on the bed and peeing on the clothes and peeing on the floor and creating a mess everywhere, at some point you say, honey, we gotta, we gotta solve this today. Like this cannot go on any longer. So that's what mm. you're looking for is an urgent problem
1: in the context of that evergreen enthusiast market. That's interesting. So if, if we were to pause right there for a second, um, I think that I agree with you. I think that's one of the, Areas where what would that problem be, that urgent 911 issue for an entrepreneur or business owner? And I think it could be like we, we've seen people like, hey, my Facebook ads just aren't working anymore. They, it's, it's more expensive. It's we're just not getting the um, ROI from that. Um, we do hear that. Um, we see a lot of, I think, ego where they say, hey, my competitors, like they're getting all this buzz and we're not. Does that, would that qualify or do we need something a little bit more urgent than that?
0: The, the closest thing that I've heard so far is uh, someone who has a Facebook account or a Facebook yeah. ad campaign that suddenly gets uh, disapproved and shut down by Facebook. Oh, That's an yeah. example that brings someone, someone's business to an entire halt, right? That happens yeah. and you can't let that go on. You've got to deal with that right there and then. Now, it's not to say that that's your entire business. That's your niche doorway. That's your doorway into someone's life. It's your in. Now, from there, that's why you want to make sure that you have market must-have number four, which is future problems. Future problems, what that means is you're entering a niche or a market where once you solve that first thing, that urgent problem for someone, the success of that thing leads to a new problem. So a classic example I always like to give, if you helped people negotiate a higher salary, for example, and you solve that problem for them, and you teach someone how to make an extra $10,000 a year, well, it opens the door to a new problem that never existed, which is what do I do with this extra money? Like I've never had money to invest and save. What do I do? Should I put it in a 401k? Should I put it in an IRA? What should I do? So it creates this good problem that didn't previously exist. So that's what you're looking for, is what is a niche, a market, where the success of that first problem Solving it leads to new problems. What my mentor likes to say new level, new devil. And that's <laughs> four. So that's market must have number four. Number five is having a market filled with what we call our PWMs players with money. Now, it's not to say that you're necessarily selling to millionaires or billionaires, although it could be the case. You're looking for a market where people have demonstrated historically a willingness to spend a disproportionate amount of their income in that area of their life. So you see areas of this all the time. Dog owners are a perfect example. You have dog owners who, you know, have otherwise modest lifestyles who lavish their furry friends with all sorts of crazy things, from the treats to the doggy spa days to doggy vacations to pet insurance to the toys and the Christmas ornaments and all the things that crazy dog owners – I'm one of them, so I can admit to this uh, – spend <laughs> on, our, on our animal. What, 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 um, what breed is your dog, Ryan? It's uh, a, a very vicious um, home protection breed, Uh four-and-a-half-pound uh, chihuahua rescue that was found on the side <laughs> of the house. <Yeah>, so, <laughs> awesome. It's,
1: I've, I've got a mini Aussie. Usually, uh, hanging out watching me from over there. I don't see him right now. That's cool. Yeah. Um, we're, yeah. We, we're huge dog people. Uh, nice. So, um, uh,
0: so, the point is this um, you want to find a market that's filled with PWMs. Now, how do you know if your market has PWMs? What's like an indicator? Well, one of the clues that you can use uh, is what is the barrier of entry to get into that hobby or vocation or that uh, aspect of life? So, if we look at B2B. What's the barrier of entry to open up a massage business versus becoming an orthodontist, right? An orthodontist is years of school, hundreds of thousands of dollars of education, physical office, all of these things. A masseuse can open up a business with a license and a table, right? So the barrier to entry is much higher. Look at it in a hobby market. You look at a hobby like chess, which you can get started with a $20 chessboard, or Mm -hmm. yachting which requires a you know $50,000 boat to get started in that business. So you can see the barrier to entry can give you clues as to whether or not the market you're thinking about going into is filled with PWMs or if it is not. So as I go through that list, we can, uh, we'll can pause here, the five market must haves. Uh, Josh, what do you, what's your initial reaction? Hearing them, thinking about the niche you've gone into, do you feel like you check off all five boxes? Is there any that you're questioning?
1: You know, I definitely, so in regards to just reviewing these, um, evergreen market, I look at, you know, do I want people of influence to talk about my stuff? And I, and I think that that's something that has been around a long time. You know, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV and, uh, what I, you know, that, so that checks that box. Enthusiasts, um, So, do you think that that ties into where they have those moments of delight and then that that would encourage them to say, oh my gosh, you know, they would definitely brag about the fact that, you know, so-and-so just talked about them on their YouTube channel or, you know, to their 100,000 social media followers or whatever it is. I mean, I could see that, you know, do they then connect it to us? Maybe, hopefully.
0: This is what I would say about that. Yeah. There are more people in this world who would rather be well-known than well-paid.
1: Mm. There yeah, are people who I would agree. rather
0: be famous than wealthy. And I don't yeah. think that that's going away anytime soon. So I think there are some fundamental right. uh, elements of human psychology at play here that are working in your favor for this enthusiast aspect of the market. Yeah. Let's talk about number three. What about the urgent piece? We touched on that one, but what are your yeah.
1: thoughts now? So the, you know, really the thing that I think we've aimed for historically has been, um, you know, this frustration that you're stagnating in business or that you're not getting engagement or growth or, um, you know, supposedly, you know, other people are having these six, six figure launches and you're not what's the problem? And I think that the problem is, is again, and, and I'd love to talk about consu- where consumers' heads are at right now. Um, but, you know, I guess that's, that's been our approach is like, look, you, you, you're gonna need to up your authority because right now people are doing their, what they presume is their due diligence. They're looking into you and they're not really impressed. They think that you're just another marketer and we've been burned by way too many just another marketers. However, if I say, oh my gosh, like, you know, Ryan, for example, you know, your credentials, you've been everywhere, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Entrepreneur, you know, you've got over 200, you got the social proof, you know, those are the indicators of authority that I think, wouldn't it be great if you had those things and the reason that you keep bumping up against this wall is you don't have those markers. And so, people are kind of checking out because, you know, they, they, they can deal without you, I guess.
0: So, uh, but so is that, I don't know that that's urgent though. It's, it's, it's getting there. Let's refine it a little bit more. So, one of the things <laughs> that I talk about in the book is yeah. finding what's called a $10,000 problem. And what that mm-hmm. means is you're looking for a problem that is a $1,000 problem that under certain circumstances becomes 10 times bigger and 10 times more urgent. So let's Mm. use the potty training example. So dog is peeing on the rug, it's peeing on the sofa, it's peeing in your house, that's a thousand dollar problem. It's a burning problem that you wanna solve. It becomes a $10,000 problem when you suddenly have a family vacation coming up next week where you're bringing the family dog, you're gonna hop on a plane together as a family, travel across the country, and you have a ton of anxiety because you're thinking to yourself, your little little guy that's normally in your office right now is gonna be peeing on the airplane, he's gonna be peeing in the airport, You're going to be that family, you're going to be that guy with that dog that everyone's going to look at and say, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, and the embarrassment that you're going to face. Now there's a level of urgency to solve it right here, right now. It takes a $1,000 problem to a $10,000 problem. So you want to ask yourself, what are the circumstances under which that escalation can happen? And I'll give you one that comes to mind for your business. You know, you mentioned something in passing that I think is a thread to pull on further, which is this idea of needing to keep up with the Joneses, keeping up with the competitors in your market. I think you have a window of opportunity whenever a competitor in a space launches something big that causes the outsiders to have one of two reactions: Wow, that's awesome, or or a or b. How is it that he's doing that and I'm not doing that? So when someone has a book launch that hits a bestseller list and everybody in that space is saying, why is it that I'm not doing that? Or someone has one of these launches that you talked about and saying, she had this launch. How is it that my launch isn't doing that well? You have Mm -hmm. this narrative that you can use. This has been used in uh, advertising for years and years and years. The place that comes to mind is in, uh, in home protection. So, the home protection industry, the home security industry, um, and maybe I'm saying something that maybe you is one of the businesses that you've been part of and you know more about this than me, but one of the most effective ways historically to sell home protection is to go door to door after a home in a neighborhood has been robbed. (laughs) after a home in a neighborhood has been robbed, it creates this level of urgency that didn't previously exist. It's a thousand dollar problem lingering in the background and suddenly your neighbor gets robbed but then raises it to a $10,000 level problem that you can then solve right then and there. And it causes people to say, honey, we can't let this go on any further. We've gotta get home security installed in the house. We gotta get the cameras, we gotta get the security, we gotta get the locks, we gotta do the whole thing. I don't care what it costs. I don't want the same thing to happen to us that happened to the neighbors down the street. So that's kind of the direction I'd be thinking about for your business idea, or what are those circumstances? And I think we may have one that's a thread worth pulling and exploring further.
1: Yeah, man, I love that, Ryan, thank you so much. So, you know, as you continue on in the book, um, and I hope you don't mind, a little bit later, I wanna ask a couple of questions about uh, Ask as well, because I, 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 I've been so excited to chat with you. Um, sure. and, and we've actually implemented Uh, A quiz uh, for our own audience. I'll I'll get to that in just a minute. I just want to make sure I don't forget that. Um, But but I do want to talk about some of the other mistakes that people make when choosing their market. And I know this is something that you elaborate on and choose as well. Totally. Yeah. So let's talk about a few. So we talked about, let's say for example, you have a market
0: that uh, you're very confident checks off the five market must-haves. It checks off those five boxes. Now we can proceed to the next test. One of the biggest questions I always get, and uh, we touched on a little bit earlier, is what's the right size of a market? Right? So, um, you know, people, we've, we've heard the phrase, there are riches and in niches inch wide, yes. miles deep. And then people right. get a little bit nervous. They say, wait, have I niched down too far? Have I limited my opportunity? Maybe I should cast the net wider. And there's really no good answer for years that I could give people around how big should your market be? So we mm-hmm. investigated this. We, we, we looked at this question and we looked at uh, every single one of our 23 markets Um, I looked at and expanded the search to our clients, our students, our customers, um, and looked at market size across all these businesses. And looked to see, was there any correlation between market size and success? And interestingly, what we found is that when you measure the keyword search volume of the businesses we looked at, there is a market size sweet spot there is a size in terms of wow. keyword volume that represents the sweet spot you want to be aiming for. And interestingly, it's not too big. It's not too small. It's sort of right in this middle band. And, and for years, for months, Josh, my team and I, when we made this discovery, were debating back and forth. Are we going to reveal these keywords? Because <laughs> truthfully, like, these, are most, these are our most successful businesses. We're going to invite competition if people know, like these are, the, these are the ones, right? So we were back and forth for months. And in the end, we decided in the book, to reveal what those keywords are, so anybody can then take your business idea, your what we call your bullseye keyword, which I teach you how to identify what that is in the book, identify your bullseye keyword, compare it against these benchmark keywords, and identify, are you in the sweet spot, or is your business too big, or too small, in which case you may need to niche up or niche down. Um, But we found that there's a correlation between market size and success, so that is absolutely something you wanna focus on, and a big mistake that people make is they go into businesses that are in the wrong market size. Mm. Um, now what's interesting about that is there's this kind of um, corollary uh, mistake, which is um, around level of competition. So um, you, know, you can think about market size as being um, one dimension, market competition is another dimension you wanna look at. Um, whenever I talk about competition, people usually, the conversation to have goes one of two ways. Um, they say, you know, oh, I've got this amazing idea, and then they go online, they research it, and they found out that somebody else is already doing it, and then yes. they say, crap, it's <laughs> too late. I missed the boat. Oh, I guess opportunity's <laughs> over. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly, I missed the boat, um, It's am too yeah. late. Um, or <laughs> they have another reaction. They come up with this idea, they go online, and nobody's doing it. And they say, oh my gosh, I'm, we're gonna strike gold, we're gonna get rich yes. on this. Right. Um, and, and what I've learned, one of my mentors, uh, early in my career, um, shared something with me, I'll never forget when he said it. He said, I want Ryan, remember this your entire career. <clears throat> pioneers get shot, but settlers get rich. And what he meant by that is, you do not want to be the first to market to any idea. If you look at the most successful companies of our generation, you look at the Googles of the world, Facebook, uh, Apple, none of them were the first to market. Google was not the first search engine, Facebook was not the first social media platform, Apple was not the first to sell MP3 players and later on smartphones. They all found a space that had proven demand and they either built a better mousetrap, a better product, or they built better marketing. So the secret that you're looking for is this. You're looking for a space where the competition is succeeding in spite of themselves. You're looking for evidence that people are making money online, doing the thing you're thinking of doing, and yet are still making three or four or five big mistakes that makes you say to yourself, gosh, if we just fix this one thing, if we did what they're doing and fix this one thing, we are gonna be successful. So the million dollar question is, how do you know without having access to someone's financial records if someone's making money online? Well, the best indicator that you can use is to study who is spending money on paid advertising. Because here's the thing, if people are spending money consistently on paid advertising to market their idea, they're not doing it for their enjoyment or their health. They're doing it because it's making a return on investment. And so, we looked at this. We looked at um, every single one of our markets, once again. We looked at the level of competition in every single one of those markets. And once again, what we found is that there's an optimal sweet spot you wanna be looking for. You don't wanna be in a market that's too competitive, where you're gonna be eaten alive, right? Where you're in a a red sea market. But at the same time, you don't wanna be in a market where nobody else is doing what you're thinking about doing. You don't wanna go into a market where there are zero advertisers because you don't wanna be that pioneer. You wanna be the settler. So, there's a sweet spot. Now, here's where things get interesting. When you find a market that checks off the five market must haves, when you find a market that's in that market size sweet spot, when you find a market that's also in that competitive sweet spot, then you found a bullseye market. A market that you can go into with confidence and know that it checks the boxes and is gonna set you up for success.
1: Wow, you know, and that's interesting. That's kind of what we experienced with Savings Angel is that uh, at the time, when so, what Savings Angel was for about 10 years is a uh, membership based website, and um, and but I looked at what else existed, and there were a few other people, and I thought, oh my gosh, they're crappy! Like, yeah. and and for all, I mean, as far as we could tell, they were still very popular, and I'm like, yeah, but the service is not good, like, right. it's ugly. It's like, if they can succeed at it. So it's kind of interesting, you know, but but I did, I remember looking at it and say, oh shoot, somebody's already doing this. Well, you know, but then I, I started digging early late, you know, digging more into it. I'm like, yeah, but I think we could improve on this. And so that, and I think that was that's interesting. So we accidentally, you know, followed the principles, uh, you know, kind of what you illustrated in, in the book choose. Um, So um, now there is this idea of kind of still maybe wanting to be in the blue ocean. I mean, how do you feel about that?
0: You know, uh, what I found is it's expensive to be the first. Uh, It's very expensive to blaze the trail, right? If you just use that uh, metaphor in your mind, you're blazing through the jungle. You're taking that machete. You're chopping down all the brush and undergrowth in front of you. You've got a lot of work to do. You want to be the guy behind who's just walking down the path that somebody else has blazed. Um, The question, you know, uh, one of my mentors um, used to say, um, there's a difference between a challenge and a setup. A challenge is when you walk into a room and there's a big pile of dominoes on the table and you've got to stack all those dominoes perfectly without making any mistake and lining them up. A setup is when you walk into that same room, all the dominoes have been lined up for you and all you need to do is tap the first one and they all fall down. You're looking for setups, not challenges. And if what you find feels like a challenge where 15 things need to go right, and if just all of these things kind of work out perfectly and the timing is so Mm -hmm. great, um, that's what you want to avoid. You want to find that setup. You want to find that market, that niche where it checks off the boxes. It's got the right amount, not too much competition, but not too little. It's not too big. It's not too small. It checks off all the boxes and it passes all the other tests that I talk about in Choose. And you've lined yourself up where it's a green light market. And now it's just a matter of walking down the trail, right? When the trail has been blazed for you. And a lot of people, I think, can relate to this. I say, you know, A lot of people tell me, they say, I'm willing to put the work in. I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to row the boat but I wanna know in advance that the river's gonna get me to my destination. Like imagine going on a road trip where you're just flying blind and it may, you may or may not get to where you wanna go, right? Most of us are willing to get in the car and take the journey if we know it's gonna get us to where we wanna go. Um, and that's what this book is all about. It's about, to, it's about ensuring that before you get started. Um, I, I learned one of the biggest things I've learned along the way in serving um, uh, people who are at the stage of their business is the, the number one thing that holds people back is this. People have, uh, that I talk to, they're um, they're not living on the side of the road in a cardboard box. People have good lives. People are afraid of screwing up their already good life in order to go after great. They're afraid to give up good to go after great. And I think the fear is around this sense that what if you go all in on something and you lose it all? Many people that I talk to now have families, responsibilities, we got bills, we got mortgages, you know, we have other people who depend on us and it's just not something that we can do. And I'm the same way. Like I was not one of these entrepreneurs who came into the space, um, you know, going all in. Like I was a very risk averse entrepreneur and I was all about how do I mitigate my risk up front. Um, And this does that. This book does this before you go all in on that, that next idea that you're considering, validating it up front so that way you can pursue it with clarity and confidence once you've figured out that it is, in fact, a green light idea.
1: You know, what's really cool, um, Ryan, I really love that you did this is that Um, So people can actually get this book and uh, they just go to choosethebook.com slash authority. And not only can they get the book for free and they just cover shipping and handling, uh, but you've thrown in $200 worth of bonuses, including the audio book. uh, You've got top 25 lucrative niche markets for 2019. um, Some mindset training. Um, Can I just ask like from a launch perspective? And I know you're friends with Jeff Walker, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, yeah. But uh, what what goes into that in terms of like uh, launching and and uh, doing it that way as opposed to well I guess just on Amazon you can get it there um, you, yeah. you've taken a different route why why is that? What's interesting we will well you can talk shop for
0: a bit on this. Um, what's interesting about a book launch is I talk to people who want to do book launches and 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 I'm grateful that you're only a first time author once uh, because I made a lot of mistakes with my first book. Ask I learned a lot in that process. And there are things that people wanna achieve with a book that in many cases are mutually exclusive from one another. So in other words, if your goal is to uh, hit the bestseller list, to be a, a New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller, all the bestseller lists, you need to focus on selling through traditional channels. But when you do that, those customers belong to the retail outlets that sell yeah. the book. They belong to Amazon, they belong to Barnes & Noble, they belong to Books A Million. They don't belong to you. If instead your goal is to focus on lifetime customer value and use your book as a doorway you're in uh, into a person's uh, uh, life, um, and then become a customer for life with you for months and years thereafter, then selling the book on your website is a better uh, option. Now many people wanna have their cake and eat it too. They say, I wanna hit all the bestseller lists, I wanna sell a million sure. copies, and I wanna be able to um, you know, uh, uh, you know, build my own list of customers. Uh, the reality is you need to choose. You do need to, um, no pun intended, but you do need to choose which of those priorities is most important. So for me, you mentioned um, some of the credentials, um, uh, you know, that I was able to achieve with the first book. It was the number one marketing book of the year by Inc. It sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, I didn't feel like we needed to focus on the added credibility that would come from another, uh, you know, Wall Street Journal or Publishers Weekly or USA Today or LA Times or New York Times bestseller. Um, I felt that we could serve more people by focusing on getting the book in as many people's hands as possible. And so the best way I know how to do that is to give away a free copy, pay a few dollars sipping and handling, and then throw in some bonuses that um, you know, are designed to overcome the biggest objections. People say, I don't wanna wait for the book to arrive in my house. Well, I'll give you instant access to the audiobook. You can listen like minutes. Like you literally listen right after this episode, right? Um, people always say, well, I can't think of any niches. Well, I'm gonna give you my list. I went into 23 markets. These next niches, the 25 niches I'm I'm giving people um, are the exact niches I would be going into right here, right now in 2019. These are niches that check off all the boxes in the book. And, um, you know, so when you identify the biggest questions or challenges or objections people have, you can fill those in with bonuses in a way that you simply can't if you're only selling the book, you know, on the bookshelf at Barnes and Noble or uh, Amazon
1: wow so again and and i think uh, what i'll do is uh as we as we release this information uh choose the book.com slash authority i just think that that's brilliant you know i love being able to um just not just you know when i when i get a book that i really like like i like uh, a community around that like i want to kind of immerse myself in more than just the words on the page. And so you've kind of given the, the perfect environment to be able to do that. So uh, thank you, Ryan, for, for doing that. Um, you know, um, one thing, can, can we go kind of back into the past a little bit and talk about ask, sure. um, yeah. so the basic premise, uh, of ask, and, 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 and I think that it's more than this, uh, is that, um, rather than just saying, Uh, communicating to an audience well you need this you need to you need this as opposed to that just saying well why don't you tell me where you're at and where does it hurt and are you trying to then you know kind of figure out into maybe you've got like one of 16 different categories that that person might say ouch, yes, this is where it hurts, and then you can prescribe them a solution that feels very personalized. Is, is that kind of the concept, or I'm sure that's just a piece of it?
0: It's a, it's a good piece of it. And the way I like to think about ask is, if you think about it, there's two main components. So the first component is, once you've chosen your market, the next step is to ask. To ask a very specific set of questions to understand your market at a deep emotional level. You know, Henry Ford is famous for saying, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. And the reason why that quote rings true is because you can't just ask people what they want. You have to ask questions in a very specific way. And so I talk about things like asking about past behavior, asking people questions like, what's your biggest challenge associated with this thing? How much money have you invested to solve that problem? How much time have you spent trying to solve that problem? We're not good at projecting in the future. We're not good at saying, Josh, this is my dream scenario. This is exactly what I want. Because you're asking people to access a part of their brain where they're projecting and really guessing what it is that they want. If I were to ask you, you know, what's your dream? What, do you, what, is, it, what is everything you would want in your dream car? You're projecting. You're saying, oh, it'd be great to have this. It'd be great to have this. But if I say, tell me one thing about the car you drive right now that kind of annoys you, that's like kind of something that, that wow. bugs you, most of us can pick one thing. We can find that one thing and using that piece of information as entrepreneurs, we can say, okay, this is what's called a point of difference benefit. This is the thing we need to focus on. So my wife's car, it's the, it's the GPS. The GPS is terrible in the car. You have to click through 15 different menus. I drive a Tesla, (laughs) which is just like you talk into the thing and it just maps the whole thing. So it's beautiful. My wife's car, she's got a GPS, the whole thing. And that is the pain point. So I could tell you, you know, immediately. So it's about asking the right questions to understand your market at a deep emotional level. That's only the first part of the equation. Right. From there, when you ask these open-ended questions, what ends up happening is themes emerge. These themes turn into what I describe as buckets. Buckets of people who have different sets of challenges, circumstances, or places that they're at in a journey towards success, Whereas it, where it sets you up to instead of selling to people in a one-size-fits-all way when they land on your website, simply ask a few questions when someone lands on your website to do exactly what you just described, to diagnose and prescribe. Like if you came to my website and I said, hey, Josh, do you mind if I ask you a few simple questions to understand a little bit more about your business, where you're at, and based on the answers to those questions, I'll point you to the best one of my resources for you. It's a very natural conversational way to market and communicate and allow you to better sell and better serve. And that's what Ask is all about. It's a methodology that breaks down the steps to do all of these things in a very specific way, which not only allows you to generate more profit and make more money, but allows you you to better serve your audience at the highest level possible. Excuse me. So that's what Ask is all
1: about. Yeah. So if I wanted to, uh, so one thing that we had considered doing, and I actually have on the website right now is, I mean, I'd like to lead with asking questions. And so, if we, so I think this would be pretty easy to integrate uh, this into what we've just launched. And so, it's, it's uh, you know, discover your, what's your authority score, take the quiz. And then we right. take them through and say, well, do you have this, this, you know, it's basically just, uh, you know, they check the boxes on, you know, do you have, do you have a Wikipedia page? Are you, you uh, you know, verified on these social media platforms, you know, questions like that. And then they get a score that uh, generally for like 99% of people it's, we don't do so well. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I'm wondering I, how I could probably incorporate some of those questions into that, uh, maybe to identify who they are. But beyond that, um, I'm just trying to think about, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, uncovering these open-ended questions. Uh, and I'm just wondering like what some of those questions might be um, so aside from just. Yeah. There's yeah. two, two
0: separate steps to the process, right? So yeah. the uh, first step, what we call the deep dive survey is where you ask those deep open-ended questions. And that's typically mm-hmm. think about that in the form of a campaign. In other words, you do it once for the project, you analyze the results and you use the analysis, the results to inform what your quiz is going to look like mm. the quiz becomes a permanent part of your website so yeah. you can think about the deep dive survey step one which is what we call discover the discover step is a, a one-time thing for an individual project the segment step where people land on your website via an assessment a survey a quiz that's designed to funnel people into different buckets in your case maybe based yeah. on ranges of their score so if you scored 90 to 100 maybe you're in this bucket 80 to right. 90, you're in this bucket, so on and so forth. Um, that becomes a permanent part of your website. And so the two are almost mutually exclusive from one another. And I like to think of the oh, deep dive interesting. survey step as something that you, you um, uh, the, the deep dive survey informs the quiz, but it's something that typically only lasts for a short amount of time. So you launch it, you stop it, you analyze the results, and then the results are used to build that quiz, which um, becomes you know, a permanent part of your website. You know, for I'll give you an example of a, of a quiz that you may want to check out. So, In the book, yeah. um, we have an assessment that helps you identify what type of business is right for you, and we okay. ask a series of questions based on your lifestyle goals, mm-hmm. the amount of money you have available to invest in your business, um, your personality, are you more of an extrovert, more of an introvert, um, your income goals, all of these things that determine which of one of 16 possible outcomes is recommended for you. So when you read the book, Choose, you can read it through that lens. You can check Mm -hmm. it out. It's at choosequiz.com. It's a totally free thing. And just to give you the sense of scale, this is an example of the ask method in action. This is an example of an ask method quiz that we eat our own dog food. Like we use what we teach. Um, That one quiz alone, Josh, gets between 1,000 and uh, 1,200 email subscribers every single day. Wow, so 1,000 plus people every single day take that quiz to find out their type and we prescribe the best next step for them based on their situation, which in some cases may be uh, check out a copy of the book Choose for, you know, a few bucks. So um, wow. that's a great example for anyone who wants to see the ask method in action. And even for you, as you think about your authority score to give you some ideas around how yeah. you might use that in your business.
1: Wow. Wow. Ryan, I'm excited, uh, and so um, in terms of um, you know your when, when did you I mean when the book can I your first was so when when ask came out, yeah. I mean what what groundwork did you lay so that when the book came out like it it eventually I mean it did it's done very well like how did you how did you accomplish that?
0: How did we launch the book? Like how did we yeah. launch with the yeah. with a bang? Um, well, before <laughs> writing the book, um, my initial goal was very uh, modest. Like I just wanted to have a better business card. I wanted to have something that I could give people when I was at an event that explained you know, a little bit more about who I was and what I did. Um, and that very quickly kind of snowballed into a much more ambis- ambitious project. And um, when we launched the book, I'll tell you the two strategies that were most effective for us. Uh, number one i've built every single one of our businesses on the back of paid traffic so that is if you know i learned early in my career that if you can master one way to generate traffic and one way to convert traffic that um you know that is the path to wealth it's not about being an expert in you know instagram and facebook and youtube and google adwords and snapchat and all these different things pick one master it and one way to convert that traffic so for me it was paid um, so the number one strategy that was most effective for us uh is using Facebook ads specifically. Facebook ads driving people to a free plus shipping offer for the book. So that was the first thing. Um, second thing is uh, believe it or not, um doing exactly what we're doing right now, doing a podcast interview. Um I did yep. over 150 interviews um when I launched my book, first book, Ask. And that more than anything else, um, led to its success because um I feel like, and what I've learned is that podcast listeners are um, some of the smartest, most um, uh, educationally driven people on the planet. Yeah, people, it's true. And instead of listening to the radio or, uh, you know, watching some time-wasting thing, if you've transformed your car into a mobile university or you're at the gym and you're spending time listening to this right now, it's because you are part of the segment of the, the world that wants to better yourself. In that area of your life, whether it's fitness, business, whatever it may be, and so there's an incredible alignment between book readers and specifically book listeners. Notice that the first bonus that I offered was an audiobook version of the book, right? Smart. Um, and so, podcasting is uh, incre- has been incredibly effective, and I'm grateful for um, you know being on your show for that reason um, because of um, how uh, effective I know it is to to, to share a message and get that uh, message in as many people's hands as possible. So those are my two go-to channels, podcasting and Facebook ads. Everything else was an experiment, and you can see for this book, we've doubled down in those two channels. We've doubled down on Facebook ads, and we've doubled down on uh, podcast uh, interviews, and that's kind of been our big focus.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Awesome. All right, Ryan. Well, the helicopter is, uh, I hear the blades were in up above us. So we need to get you out of (laughs) here. I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me. And, uh, and uh, I it's going to be really exciting to see choose uh, hit the hit the shelves and, and and, uh, get in the hands of lots of good people. So thank you so much for the work that you've done. And and thank you so much for your time.
0: Awesome, Josh. It's been an honor to be here. Super grateful. And we'll have to uh, do this sometime soon that's all i can get for now listeners unfortunately i've been stuck behind this fake plant for over 24 hours and i really gotta pee if you want to spy on josh Moore with us subscribe to this podcast he's also got this website upmyinfluence.com you should check it out anyway i gotta sneak out of this place morse code here over and out